The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. With this talk, I begin the five-part series on the fourth noble truth. So we've already done now three weeks on the one one week each on the first four noble truths, and in a sense, the fourth, you know, builds on the first three. It's a continuation of the first three. And um, I would like to begin uh, with this metaphor of the mind being like water. And um, it's an ancient uh, part of Buddhism is to refer to the mind um, in different ways as if it's water. What's nice about water is that it's not ice. What's nice about water is that it's also not uh, invisible gas, you know, as the water evaporates. That water has this beautiful, clear water has this wonderful quality that you really, you see the water, but you also can see through the water to what's in the water. And this way of kind of being in the mind, being part of the mind, and having the ability to see through that clarity of awareness, we know we're aware, and in that clarity, see what's there. And the way it's expressed as a metaphor in the ancient texts is uh, <clears throat> is a person standing on the edge of a lake, a person who has good eyesight, and is able to look down into the clear lake, and it's so clear the water that the uh, down deep down you can see in the bottom of the lake, can see pebbles and snails moving around and also can see uh, the fish moving around in the lake slowly. And um, in the same way, uh, when the mind is clear, it looks deep into the mind, deep into our experience, and it sees the things that are kind of stationary, the pebbles, and sees the things that are moving and coming and going, and, and it's just all seen in clarity. This metaphor of looking into a clear lake and seeing the fish and things in it is used for a mind uh, which is prepared for full awakening. That somehow when the mind is settled and calm, unagitated, where the mud of the hindrances have all settled down, uh, then the mind is ready for a very deep letting go, a freedom, a releasing of the deepest forms of attachment that are there. And uh, these uh, Four Noble Truths are central aspects to this movement towards this freedom and release. And, um, and there are different, as I've been saying these weeks, there are different interpretations for what these Four Noble Truths are. But the earliest predominant understanding uh, that we find in the ancient teachings of the Buddha are different than what we expect, those of us who've learned the Four Noble Truths from uh, you know, modern teachers or modern books. The Four Noble Truths predominantly are uh, the are deep insights into seeing uh, what is there, seeing its arising, seeing its ceasing, uh, really seeing the coming and going of phenomena. Now, this is a uh, you know not an you can see that in ordinary life, 
It's the metaphor I like is looks being on the riverbank, leaning against a tree, and just watching the river go by. And of course, you see the river flow, you know, flowing and flowing. That's what a river is; it's flowing. And um, and so it's clear. People, some people get very relaxed and very contented, uh, just watching something like a river flowing and flowing. And you can do it for hours sometimes. And there's something very captivating and relaxing about uh, that kind of. Uh, and um, the um, so the um, but what we're talking about here, at least the er- early, you know, the Buddha is is deep meditative experience. To have done the work, the inner work, inner clear- clearing of the mind, settling the mind, settling our issues, meditating long enough that the mind gets quiet and still enough that the mind becomes more and more like a clear lake. The mind becomes more and more able to just see um, the fish and the snails and the pebbles of our mind, just see the details, and at some point seeing they're coming and going. Because what we're seeing at this level is deeper than the experience of our stories and our concepts and the ways in which we sew together our reality through desires and aversions and wanting. We're just allowing things to be kind of at the at the, at the sense level, at the pixel level of experience, the individual kind of data points that arise and pass in experience. And it's a very, very, can be a very, very pleasant, uh, meaningful, inspiring state to have the mind with that level of clarity and subtleness and seeing things come and go and come and go. And when the mind has that kind of openness and clarity and room for things, leaving things alone, there's a sense of freedom in that. There's a sense that you're allowing things, we're granting everything its freedom. In a sense, uh, rather than we becoming free, the deeper freedom of Buddhism is we give everything else its freedom. Everything's allowed just to be as it is. Now remember, we're talking about a very deep state of meditation. But we're not having to contend with the social complexities of life at this point. And in this very deep state, we can just grant freedom to anything that comes, thoughts and feelings and sensations, whatever. And, um, and, uh, and that sense of freedom is there without understanding the cause of our suffering, without the stories about why things are. There's no need to ask the question why or to have an explanation or to have an understanding of things per se, except that we understand that things are constantly flowing and moving and developing. And the way that this is expressed in the ancient tradition is that one understands, in terms of suffering, one understands suffering, one understands the arising of suffering, one understands the ceasing of suffering, and the fourth statement is one understands that this is the practice uh, leading to the ceasing of suffering. And so this is the practice that leads to the ceasing of suffering. That this, this practice, is pointing back to or explaining that it's this uh, seeing of the arising and ceasing. In that clarity of just seeing things come in the clear lake of the mind, and the freedom that comes with leaving things alone, just seeing that things can come and go without our involvement, without our engagement, that we're free of it and it's free of us. Here, there's freedom. Here, there's no uh, involvement and entanglement. Here, there's no uh, 
greed or wanting for it. Um, there's just a there's a very deep cessation, not only of the things coming and ceasing, but also a cessation of our clinging and craving and wanting of it. And here is where freedom is found. So this is the practice. And this is the practice then we see do over and over again. And if we take me back to this level of practice and really experience it, be saturated by it, be conditioned by it, be relaxed by it, it keeps opening us and freeing us more and more. The more and more we discover the deeper holdings, the places left over, we're still clinging and attached, begin to dissolve, begin to let go, sometimes dramatically and sometimes slowly. And at some point when this process becomes deep enough, um, then the letting go happens in a very deep, very thorough way that at that point, these four liberating insights no longer become what we understand, but what we really fully awaken to. So the language in the ancient text goes from understanding to becoming fully awakened to. And when we're fully awakened to these, then the texts refer to them as um, the noble truth of suffering, the noble truth of the arising of suffering, the noble truth of the ceasing of suffering, cessation of suffering, and the noble truth of the practice leading to the cessation of suffering. The full awakening, this is what it is. So the deepest letting go, the deepest releasing of things, of full awakening. And uh, so this is a very different understanding of the noble truths than the noble truths point to the cause of suffering and that craving is the cause and we let go of craving. It's actually something I would say deeper um, understanding. And the craving idea of Four Noble Truth, we'll talk about later. That's kind of a later application of them. But at the heart, the way it's talked about in the early tradition, early tradition, it's really this very deep experience, insight into inconstancy. Seen over and over again until it leads to awakening. So it's a kind of a two-step process. First, there's a very deep understanding. Ah, this is the way. Now I know what the practice is. And followed by, uh, sooner or later, it maturing and growing and developing. Matures into greater and greater release and freedom. Um, so, um, uh, in this, this regard, the word noble that this talked about here um, doesn't refer to the truths, but it rather refers to the people who are have become ennobled, people who become certain kind of uh, dignity or value, or I don't know exactly what to say, how we translate noble. The ancient word is aria, I, I, and, uh, and you know, it's a little bit unfortunate what happened historically with this word in the 20th century in Europe. But uh, this is an ancient Indian word, uh, originally for, a, for a, 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 an, a class of people who are considered kind of the nobles or the, uh, you know, certain kind of, uh, in some ways, the conquerors of parts of India, perhaps. But uh, the Buddha uh, took it on to refer to kind of a certain worthiness or fullness or value of someone who's fully freed and awakened. And rather than technically the Pali, the ancient language, doesn't say, doesn't really say four noble truths. 
even though it's how we keep translating it over and over into, into English, the most likely way that the grammar of the word means, it's the, for, it's the, it's the truth of the noble ones. And this is very important because Buddhism is focusing on the transformation of people, not the idea of abstract truths. It's the truth, it's the insight, it's the realization of those who are realized, of the noble ones. So um, so this is the background to go deep, more deeply into this fourth noble truth that we're going to talk about this week. And we'll see uh, tomorrow how this uh, relates to the Eightfold Path. Because traditionally, uh, the fourth noble truth in the, in the, in the sus- sub- subsequent interpretations of the four noble truths that um, goes down through the centuries and comes to us today in the most common understanding of the four noble truths, the fourth noble truth is the Eightfold Path. But the Eightfold Path is also in the early tradition, very different than how it's come to us. And um, it's more intimately related to awakening itself than has been often presented, where it's often presented as the beginner's path of just to do these and it leads to awakening. But it's actually an expression of awakening itself. It's an expression of this deep cessation, this deep fulfillment of the arising, of the rising and passing of phenomena, leaving things alone, the mind becoming really clear and peaceful. And in that great clarity, peacefulness, um, ease of the mind, uh, that, that is where we find the Eightfold Path. So we'll talk more about this tomorrow. And, um, and um, thank you very much. <laughs>